good to be with all of you and just a privilege and a joy to open God's word with you. Turn your Bibles to Philemon chapter, there's only one chapter, so <laughs> chapter one, uh, uh, but we'll look at verse 20, 17 to verse 25, Philemon verse 17 to verse 25. It's just one chapter, so it's easy to miss this short letter. I'm going to read from verse 17 to verse 25. This is Paul's letter to Philemon. He says, If then you regard me, that is Paul, a partner, accept him, that is Onesimus, as you would me. But if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will repay it, not to mention to you that you owe to me even your own self as well. Yes, brother, let me benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Having confidence in your obedience, I write to you, since I know that you will do even more than what I say. At the same time also, prepare me a lodging, for I hope that through your prayers I will be given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Forgiveness. When asked for and offered, it is something that keeps all relationships going. But it can also be complicated and messy and, and difficult. Uh, C.S. Lewis, the British author, made this telling remark. He said, everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive. Well said. It is the glue that keeps relationships together. Uh, it is the oil that lubricates and keeps the machine of relationships operating with efficiency and, and with uh, a way in which it is healthy. When done right, it is a beautiful thing to witness. So as we study this so short section from Paul's letter, a good question to ask ourselves as we look at this section would would be, would asking and extending forgiveness be one of the things that our friends and family be able to associate with us? Am I known as a person who is quick to extend forgiveness when someone repents of their actions? How do I cultivate a heart of forgiveness? How do I nourish it? How do I help it grow? We're going to look at this letter today that will answer those questions for us. But let me begin by giving us a context to the letter itself. Uh, Paul, as we saw, is the author of this letter. It was written somewhere around 61, 62 AD. This was around the same time as three other letters were written by Paul. Uh, they are popularly called as the prison epistles, and they were the letter to the Ephesians, the letter to the Philippians, and the letter to the Colossians. Now, this particular letter is addressed to Philemon, 
the recipient of this letter was most likely an elder or a leader in the church at Colossae. And as you look at the first couple of verses, you can see that it is also addressed to his family and the church that gathers in his house, verse 2. Aphileman was a rich man. He was a slave owner in the city of Colossae. Uh, his slave, Onesimus, which means useful, had either wronged him in some way or robbed him and then escaped to Rome. Uh, this was a perfect location as far as Onesimus was concerned because it was a large city where he could easily go unnoticed. Uh, but in God's grace and his providence, Onesimus came in touch with Paul. And perhaps he had heard of Paul from his master Philemon. And Paul eventually, in verse 10 we are told, led Onesimus to Christ. And Onesimus continued to be a great asset and help to Paul. But although he was a great asset and help to the Apostle Paul, both knew that as a follower of Christ, he had the responsibility to return to Philemon, his master. And that opportunity came when Paul wrote a letter to the Colossians and sent it with Tychicus. And along with that letter, he also sent this letter to Philemon in regards to Onesimus. Now, as you imagine the scenario, just think of the tension as the letter is being read by Philemon. Perhaps it's being read in the presence of his family, and as it is addressed to the church, perhaps also some other church members are listening in as the Apostle Paul writes, that has written this letter to him. He sees in front of him this runaway slave, this fugitive, standing right there. And next to him is Tychicus. Uh, there is tension in the air because Philemon would be well within his rights to punish Onesimus for escaping, even execute him on the extreme side of things. And so Paul anticipates this tension and therefore begins with a greeting in the first few verses, first three verses, and then quickly moves to affirming the character of Philemon. And so in the first few verses, verse 4 to verse 7, we are given a character of the person who forgives. What does a person who forgives look like? What is their character like? Uh, Paul tells us in verse 4 that it is someone for whom there is only thankfulness. Uh, someone, he says, who has concern for the Lord, verse 5. Uh, this is someone who loves God's people. Uh, verse 6 tells us this is someone who lives for Christ's glory. Uh, someone who lives to bless others. Uh, that is the character of a person who forgives. And it's important for Paul to mention those things up front because later on he's going to call Philemon as he holds him to that standard. Now it's fascinating to note that although the theme of this short letter is a manual on forgiveness, uh, that word forgiveness does not occur in this letter at all. But the idea of forgiveness uh, weaves through the letter. It's all over the place. We'll look at some of those instances in our section today. But what does the word forgiveness mean? Well, there are two Greek words that are used to translate the word forgive in the New Testament. The first Greek word is charizomai, and you can hear that word charis, which means grace. It means to bestow a favor unconditionally. 
uh, to show oneself as gracious, a kind, benevolent, or to grant forgiveness or pardon. It indicates being a gracious person towards someone else. Now, by contrast, the second word, afiemi, means to send away, uh, to, to let go, to give up a debt by not demanding it. Uh, the opposite of the word forgive, then, is to retain, or literally, to grasp or to hold on to. John MacArthur describes forgiveness in this way. He says, think of it as a promise never to take revenge. It's a verbally declared promise, he says. It is a statement of love that affirms that I hold no anger, I hold no hatred, I hold no bitterness against you. And it has a threefold perspective to it. And that perspective is that I won't ever bring it up to you. I won't remind you. Secondly, I won't ever bring it up to anybody else. That is, I won't gossip about it. And thirdly, I won't ever bring it up to myself. I won't ever bring it up to you. I won't ever bring it up to anybody else. And I won't ever bring it up to myself. That's forgiveness. In the section we have, and generally speaking, there are two parties involved here. One who is offended and needs to seek forgiveness and one who was offended and needs to extend forgiveness. It is that second position that Philemon is in. He is the offended party, and Paul is pleading with Philemon on behalf of Onesimus. Now we go back to our original question here. How do we cultivate a heart of forgiveness? In the course of this letter, and in this section particularly, Paul mentions at least six things that we can think of as reminders of how we can cultivate a heart of forgiveness. Notice with me verse 17 to verse 19. If then you regard me a partner, accept him as you would me. But if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will repay it, not to mention to you that you owe to me even your own self as well. But first of all, we are to remind ourselves of the fact that we owe a debt we cannot pay. As believers, we owe a debt that we cannot pay. Paul begins this final section by making a strong request. In fact, this is an imperative. Uh, Accept him, he says, as you would me. If you regard me a partner, the word there does not just mean a friend. It means someone with whom you share a common fellowship with. Uh, The word there is koinonos, which is also the root for our word assembling or assembly. And it implies sharing. And so all the rights and privileges that are included for those who are in the fellowship, says Paul, extend those to Onesimus as well. You know, as you observe those three verses, you notice a thinly veiled threat in that text there. Now, we get that from the implication of the text. Uh, Let me read it another way. If you don't regard me as partner, then you would not accept him as you have me. It's subtle, but it's there. Paul then goes on to offer to pay Philemon for anything that Onesimus may owe him. How can Philemon even think of receiving anything from the Apostle Paul? But Paul 
goes on to pile one thing over another as he makes a strong case for Philemon to receive Onesimus back. Now, if verse 18 wasn't enough, Paul tells us, who generally uses a secretary to write his letters, but, he went, but when he wants to highlight something, he says, I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. He is emphasizing, he is highlighting, he is underlining, he is making sure Philemon is paying attention to this. I will repay it, he says. And then he goes on to say, not to mention, and but he still mentions it, the debt that Philemon owes Paul. Now what is this debt? Now in the immediate context, this means Paul was used by God to share the gospel with Philemon. And through the fruitful ministry and faithful ministry of Paul, Philemon was saved. And because Philemon was saved through Paul's ministry, they are now brothers in Christ. They are partakers of grace. They are partakers of the heavenly calling. And they are partakers of the glory to be revealed. Now, if you are a believer, that means someone was faithful in sharing the gospel with you. Many of us sitting here have grown up, are growing up in homes where our parents are believers, where God is honored in that home. His word is faithfully read and studied, and you heard the gospel at a very young age. God saved you at a young age. Can you ever think of paying back what you owe to your parents? Absolutely not. Now, for others who did not have such a background, you heard the gospel from someone who had the courage to share the gospel with you, and the Holy Spirit regenerated you, and you were born again into the kingdom of God. And so in the immediate context, it is referring to Paul's role in Philemon's salvation. But in its ultimate context, it was God himself who saved Philemon. God in Christ has forgiven you and me. It was God who loved the world and gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It was God the son who took on flesh and dwelt amongst us. He existed in the form of God but did not regard equality with God to be something to hold on to, something to be grasped. But he emptied himself and he did that by adding on humanity. He set aside his heavenly glory for a time, and he, that is our Lord Jesus Christ, took the form of a bond servant, being made in the likeness of man, and then being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Now, Jesus died for our sins so that he might bring us to God. You see, God in Christ forgave us. You and I owed a debt that we could not pay, and he paid a debt that he did not owe. It took God to be a man to accomplish salvation for you and for me. Isaiah says it very well. He says, he bore our grief. He carried our sorrows. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. He was the one who was scourged, and we were the one who were healed. How can we even think of being able to pay such a debt? Now, if that is what God has done for you and for me, how much quicker we should be to forgive others. How do you cultivate a heart of forgiveness 
you remind yourself of the forgiveness that God in Christ has extended to you. What does it look like when we are forgiven, but then we don't extend that forgiveness to others? Our Lord shares a parable in Matthew 18 to drive home that point. Now, he shares that parable from the perspective of the king who has just forgiven a servant of a tremendous debt, a debt that that servant could never pay. But then that servant encounters another servant who owed him a relatively minor amount of debt. But the forgiven servant deals harshly with his fellow servant and demands instant repayment. When the king learns what happened, he is furious and he orders the one he had forgiven to be punished until the huge debt is paid off. And our Lord ends that parable with this With these chilling words, he says, That is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Think of God himself. You and I can never pay this debt. And so we cultivate a heart of forgiveness by remembering that we ourselves owe a debt that we cannot pay. But secondly, we cultivate a heart of forgiveness that by remembering that when we forgive, we become a cause for blessing. Verse 20. Yes, brother, says Paul, let me benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. The forgiveness that we extend to others is a means that God uses for us to be a blessing to them. The benefit means to be a recipient of a favor. Uh, The opposite of it is when you don't forgive others, you're not benefiting them. You're not being a blessing to them. Notice Paul's plea. He addresses Philemon as a brother. Now, that is the same relationship that Paul shares with Onesimus as a follower of Christ. Now, that is the same relationship that Philemon also shares with Onesimus as brother in Christ. They are children of God and brothers in Christ. And as Paul pleads on behalf of Onesimus, his desire is that Philemon truly forgive Onesimus. That we saw already in verse 17. But why does Paul plead with Philemon? You see, in being instrumental in leading Philemon to the Lord, Paul has become his father through the gospel. Now, Philemon, in a sense, was Paul's work in the Lord. He was the seal of his apostleship, like he tells Timothy. Uh, Philemon was a child in the faith for Paul. And Paul urges Philemon because he genuinely cares for his soul. He doesn't want Philemon to stray from the truth. But like James reminds us in James chapter 5, Paul is making an effort to turn him back, to turn this sinner from the error of his way, and then save his soul from death. And therefore cover a multitude of sins. To not forgive someone genuinely who genuinely repents and seeks forgiveness is not simply a bad choice. According to God's word, it is sin. In Mark chapter 11, verse 25, it says, Whenever you stand praying, our Lord say that, forgive. And that is a command. It's an imperative. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father who is in heaven will also forgive you your transgression. Now here... Forgiveness is uh, used in another sense than we might normally understand. 
You see, forgiveness from God is not in its judicial sense, but in its parental sense. Now, you might say, what is the difference? Well, these are terms that theologians have come up with to help us differentiate between the two kinds of forgiveness that the Bible talks about. Oh, judicial and parental. Now, judicial uh, forgiveness takes place once for all at the time of our conversion. The penalty, the punishment for our sins is paid for. Parental or relational forgiveness, on the other hand, takes place every time a believer confesses and forsakes his sin. And that is what is in view here. Paul goes on to tell Philemon, refresh my heart in Christ. When you accept Onesimus as a partner, as a brother in Christ, it will refresh my heart. The word there for heart is actually bowels or or guts. It will bring rest and ease, he says. It will bring relief to my innermost being. When we withhold forgiveness from someone who is not genuine, who is genuinely repentant, rather, we're not only being a cause of blessing, but we are even found to be in disobedience to God's word. I used to have a professor, an older man, who shared the gospel with his neighbor. And this woman, she came to know the Lord through my professor's ministry. A few months after her salvation, uh, someone told her something about this particular professor, and she just broke off all communication with him. She just stopped talking with him. Uh, This professor pled with her. If I have done something, he said, please let me know what that is, and I'm willing to seek your forgiveness. Please forgive me. For your own sake, forgive me. You're hurting yourself, in other words, by withholding forgiveness, he said. Isn't it Job who says, he who withholds kindness from a friend forsakes the fear of the Almighty. You see, when we forgive, you're being a cause for blessing to others. So we cultivate a heart of forgiveness by remembering that when we forgive, we become a cause for blessing. Thirdly, we cultivate a heart of forgiveness by remembering that we are obedient to God when we forgive. Notice verse 21. If then, rather in verse 21, having confidence in your obedience, I write to you, since I know that you will do even more than what I say. When we forgive, we are being obedient to God. Now there is an immediate sense in which Paul mentions obedience here. Uh, Immediate in the sense that if Philemon were to accept Onesimus as Paul is commanding him, then he is obeying Paul. But there's also an ultimate sense in which Philemon would be obeying God himself. In the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew 5, verse 23 and 24, our Lord would say, Therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother, and then come and present your offering. A man's discretion makes him slow to anger, but it is his glory to overlook a transgression. Paul, who writes again, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. Ephesians 4, 32. You see, to extend forgiveness to others then is to be obedient to God. But you see, Paul's expectation, if you look at the last part of that verse, 
is for Philemon to go beyond what was expected from him. One commentator on what it means to go beyond what was expected from Philemon suggests that he might look at this situation and he might review his entire relationship to his servants on the basis of gospel principles. That would be to go beyond. Or he might give Onesimus some additional time to do evangelistic work. That would be to go beyond. Or it might result in him urging other masters too to treat their servants with greater consideration. That would be to go beyond. And so when we are forgiving our brother, our sister in Christ, we're being obedient to God. Fourthly, verse 22. At the same time, he says, also prepare me a lodging, for I hope that through your prayers I will be given to you. We cultivate a heart of forgiveness when we remember that we are accountable to godly leaders. Now, if you read that verse, at the first reading, it seems odd that Paul would insert such a thought in the middle of a letter. What, Paul, what is Paul really doing by telling Philemon that he will be given to him? And why is Paul mentioning that he wants to visit Philemon and at the same time also write a letter to him? Uh, this is another of those subtle but stern instructions that Paul gives to Philemon. Uh, one commentator writes on this particular verse, there is a gentle compulsion in this mention of a personal visit to Colossae. Goes on to say, the apostle would thus be able to see for himself that Philemon had not disappointed in his expectations or his expectations. Now, we don't have any indication in this letter that Philemon forgave Onesimus, but the fact that this letter is included in the Bible tells us that more likely that Philemon did forgive Onesimus. Paul is actually telling him, as we look at this verse, that he will himself come and check if it is so. In other words, Paul is telling Philemon, Philemon, you are accountable to godly leaders. And in that sense, you are accountable to me. We are, or you are, I am accountable to godly leaders that God has placed in our life. The writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 13 verse 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable to you. But you may ask, where are such godly leaders found? Well, if you are a part of this church, then I would say they are found in the local body of Christ, in a local Bible-believing church. You see, God's design for a believer is that they would be rooted and grounded in a local body because that's where godly leaders are found. Uh, that's where accountability is found. For those of us who are young, if there is no accountability in your life, you're missing out on one of the key elements that God has for your spiritual growth. Now, you and I cannot really be accountable to godly leaders without also being committed to a local body. And one of the joys of being at Countryside is to see firsthand the level of commitment that individuals have to each other as they faithfully participate in loving and serving one another. It's been a great joy for, for me and my family to see that firsthand. And so my ap application here is quite general in that sense. Uh, perhaps you're here and you're not committed to any local body. You're not committed to any church. You cannot be accountable 
if you merely drift in and out of the church and so make yourself inaccessible to being shepherded by godly leaders. Providing godly leaders to church and accountability to such leaders is God's method of having checks and balances to produce spiritual growth in the believer. You know, in God's perfect wisdom, he designed a church to have plurality of leadership so that there is accountability even within the leadership that exists. One author writes, one common reason that some Christians hop from church to church or abandon church participation, they just come and they go, is that they foster an independent spirit which resists authority. That they do not wish to be corrected or to comfort, confront truths that they would prefer to avoid. Without accountability to authority, a believer tends to develop itching ears. They look for teachings, he goes on to say, that agree with their own opinions instead of objective instructions. The whole counsel of God's word, that is, that will force them to face their areas of immaturity and grow up. End quote. Paul very gracefully and gently and tactfully reminds Philemon that he is accountable to Paul. We cultivate a heart of forgiveness, fourthly, then when we remind ourselves that when we forgive, we are holding ourselves accountable to godly leaders. Fifthly, verse 23 and 20, uh, 22 and 23. Rather, 23 and 24. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow workers. Fifthly, we cultivate a heart of forgiveness when we remind ourselves that we are part of a family of God. You're part of the family of God. Now, we can generally look at a list like this, or even the genealogies that are mentioned in our scriptures and tend to quickly move to the next verse. But there are five names that Paul mentions in this list, apart from a few that he has mentioned earlier. There are five names, particularly in this list that Paul mentions. Uh, these are men who are associated with Paul and uh, are with Paul as he is writing this letter. And their names are included here, and it is no accident that they're here. Now, no believer is an island in himself. If you have repented and believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are, and I am, a part of the body of Christ. Uh, there are no lone rangers in God's kingdom. So who were these men? I want to take a few minutes just to walk through each one of them quickly. Uh, first one, he says, is Epaphras, who is a fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus. Epaphras was instrumental in planting the church in Colossae. Most likely he would have been a main teaching elder at that church. And Paul calls him a fellow prisoner. Uh, this is most likely Philemon's pastor. Uh, Philemon, your pastor, greets you. In Ephesus, we have someone who is deeply committed to the Lord and what he's doing in churches in that particular area. Not only that, he was such a faithful and discerning shepherd of the flock that when he sensed a dangerous heresy brewing in the church at Colossae, he immediately journeyed all the way to Rome to get spiritual advice from Paul. And the letter to Colossians is a result of, of that. Uh, in, the, in that particular letter, Paul describes Epaphras as a born slave of Jesus Christ, always laboring earnestly for the church in his prayers. 
and that he has a deep concern for the church and that he pastors in that particular valley. No wonder as Philemon is reading this letter, he's reminded of the bond that he shares with his pastor Epaphras. The next name in that list is significant and directly relevant to the theme that that is at hand, and that is John Mark. Uh, Mark, or John Mark, is a cousin of Barnabas, and he accompanied Paul, if you remember in the book of Acts, he accompanied Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey. But when the travel became challenging, when the going got tough, he deserted the team. He left them and went back home. Acts chapter 13. That particular action on Mark's part became a source of a strong disagreement between Paul and Barnabas. And so when the second missionary journey opportunity came about, Paul wanted nothing to do with Mark. He did not want to take someone who would become a liability to them. And the disagreement between Paul on the one hand and Barnabas on the other became so strong that they had to part ways over this. Paul takes Silas and he goes on the second missionary journey and Barnabas takes Mark and he sails with him to Cyprus. But in God's grace and his mercy, that is not the end of the story. We are told that Mark did change. He changed, most probably, through the ministry of another apostle of Jesus Christ who knows a thing or two about deserting, and that is Peter. Peter, in fact, in 1 Peter 5.13 tells us that Mark is his son. Uh, that is, his son in the Lord. And so from that, we can deduce that Mark is now a changed man. But that is also not the end of the story. Both Mark and Paul eventually reconciled. How do we know that? Well, notice verse 24. He mentions Mark as a fellow worker. And by the end of Paul's ministry, in his very last letter in 2 Timothy, Paul tells Timothy, pick up Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for service. What a beautiful picture that is. Paul tells the Colossians, if Mark comes to you, welcome him. He is my brother in Christ, and he is your brother in Christ. Now, why take the time to highlight all of this? Because he, you see, Paul is not one of those leaders who sits back, relaxed in his chair, and is demanding Philemon forgive Onesimus, while he himself is not being forgiving of John Mark. No, no. He lays down an example for Philemon in what forgiveness should look like. You see, Mark was Paul's trophy of forgiveness. That's John Mark. Next, we have Aristarchus. Aristarchus, as the word means, the best ruler or best master. He was a Jewish believer with a Greek name. A resident of Thessalonica introduced to us in Acts 19 on Paul's third missionary journey. In that uproar in the city that takes place, Aristarchus is seized by the mob who is identified as Paul's companion. But along with Tychicus, Aristarchus accompanied Paul to Jerusalem after the third missionary journey. And it's very likely that Aristarchus actually just was with Paul as his companion, uh, with him in his imprisonment in Palestine, and then also with him in his imprisonment throughout. Here Paul describes him as a fellow worker. Aristarchus then was with Paul through his trials and his imprisonment. He chose Paul's lifestyle as his, lifestyle as his own. 
he gave up his own lifestyle of freedom to be with Paul. What a faithful man. As you think of believers in your life, uh, you think of how they have impacted you. Uh, there are men and women who have been faithful. And that is this list here. But there's also someone who didn't turn out to be as faithful, Demas. Not much, much is mentioned about Demas, Paul's fellow worker. From what we can deduce, uh, that at this same point of time, he actually served with Paul. Paul uh, has written Philemon during his first imprisonment, so we know that Demas was with him. Uh, it's very likely that he was also with him in his second imprisonment. Then something happened. Uh, Demas forsook Paul, abandoned the ministry, and left town. And Paul notes that sad situation in his last letter in 2 Timothy 4, verse 10. He says, Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Now this was a man who decided that what Satan offered in this present world was far better than what God offered him in the world to come. Now, we don't have a record in the Bible of Demas's repentance, so we don't really know the final outcome of his life. Very likely, he was one of those who on the outside looked like a believer, but didn't have the fruit to show it. He abandoned Paul, deserted him. Then there is finally Luke. Uh, Luke was Paul's close friend and a physician. Uh, he was a Gentile believer as we know him, and he was also Paul's traveling companion. Uh, Luke and Paul perhaps sh shared many common interests. They both were very educated men, uh, Paul in the Jewish law, and Luke trained as a physician, uh, both well-versed with Greek. Uh, Luke joined Paul in his second missionary journey, and he never left the side of Paul. And so if we think of the Second missionary journey beginning somewhere at the end of 4950 AD. Luke was with Paul for almost 18 years. Not only that, in God's providence and grace, God would use Luke to write even more than Paul wrote in the New Testament. In fact, Paul has written about 32,000 words, and Luke, on the other hand, has written 37, almost 38,000 words. Uh, this man was with Paul, a companion. And no wonder he calls him a beloved physician. Now, why mention all of these names in a chapter that has to do with forgiveness? Now, Paul is reminding Philemon, you see, that he's not an island on his own in the Christian life. He's a part of the body of Christ. He is a part of the family of God. And when you are a part of the family of God, you cannot not extend forgiveness to a fellow brother, a fellow sister in Christ. You see, for a healthy body to exist, sin issues are something that must be dealt with urgency. Now, whatever the issue, he says, resolve it, and resolve it quickly, and resolve it with God's help. You see, we cultivate a heart of forgiveness when we remind ourselves that we are a part of God's family. Sixthly, and finally, verse 25. We cultivate a heart of forgiveness when we remind ourselves that we are aided and empowered by the grace of God. Verse 25, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. We are to forgive because we are aided and empowered by the grace of God. And God's grace is always sufficient. We always have, in other words, what we need to forgive a brother or sister in Christ. There's never a time 
when God's grace is insufficient. Mr. Paul, who writes again in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and he said, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. Now, we can never say, in other words, I just cannot forgive that person and really mean it. In Matthew 18, Peter asks our Lord, Lord, how often my brother sinned against me and I forgive him up to seven times? And Jesus responds to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Now, this is not saying that we are to always forgive unconditionally. It is rather saying that our heart always must be inclined to forgive. I desire to forgive must always be our heart's inclination. Is it a struggle and challenge to forgive as you think of circumstances, perhaps in your own family, even right now? Or perhaps you have not faced this yet. Is it a struggle and challenge to forgive? Absolutely. Is it complicated and messy? Absolutely. But we can and must cultivate a heart of forgiveness as we remind ourselves that we are aided and empowered by the grace of God. Now, as I thought about this letter as we conclude our time together, I thought, why would God allow a personal letter from an apostle to a rich individual in the church in whose home the church gathered, we are told? Why would God allow such a letter to be included in his inspired book? Here's why. Because at the core of biblical Christianity is a God who has reconciled himself uh, who has reckoned us, uh, reconciled us to himself by forgiving us our sins. And that he has done through the person of Jesus Christ. By his birth, by his life, by his suffering, by his death on the cross, his burial and his being raised from the dead, and he did that for you and for me. Now, if you're an unbeliever, God offers you his gift of forgiveness. When you repent and believe in him, and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as your only hope to be right with God, it's as if you're opening that gift and making it your own. As you think of this story, Philemon is functioning in a certain role. He functions like God because it is to him whom an appeal is made to forgive. And we, on the other hand, are like Onesimus. We have sinned against the one who is our master, by either robbing him of something or by disobeying him and running away from him. And Paul, on the other hand, is like Christ, who pleads on our behalf to God. You see, Philemon is in the Bible because at the heart of biblical Christianity is a God who forgives. He's a God, the authors tell us, who is full of compassion and he is gracious, and he is long-suffering, and he's abundant in mercy and truth. And at no point are we more like him than when we forgive another human being who has sinned against us. As we conclude our time together, my prayer for us is that we should be known, that you would be known, that I would be known as the person who is quick to forgive, even as God in Christ has forgiven us. Let me close our time in a word of prayer. Lord, we come to you, Lord, with thankfulness in our heart, with gratitude. 
as we think of even our own forgiveness. Lord, we are amazed at who you are. You are a God who is full of compassion. You are gracious and you're long-suffering. And you're abundant in mercy and truth. And you display that forgiveness, that love for us in and through your Son, who loved us and gave himself up for us. Mark reminds us that he is one who did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So thank you for the forgiveness that you offer us in and through your Son. Lord, I do pray for relationships even here. Uh, For those of us who are in the midst of a circumstance where this is so applicable to remind ourselves of how we can cultivate a heart of forgiveness. Uh, Thankful for this letter that is included in your word that makes us reflect on what was demanded from Philemon. Lord, we do pray that we would be known as people who are quick to forgive. Lord, we are also thankful for the reminder of the forgiveness that is available in you. You're a God who loved us. You're a God who sent your son for us. Our hearts are filled with thankfulness towards you. I thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. We come at this time in his worthy and precious name. Amen.